Well, good morning. It's, it's great to have you here. My name is Peter Kroll. I am one of the elders for our church. And if this is your first time with us, we are delighted to have you. Thanks for, for joining us. This morning, we continue our study of the book of Proverbs. And we come to the final portion of chapter 4, which if you have one of the church Bibles, is on page 496. If you don't have a Bible, you're free to help yourself to one just out in the lobby. This text marks a turning point in the argument of this book. Before this, in Proverbs, we've been talking a lot about how we must travel the path of wisdom. And we've been learning about wisdom's path and how it works. It begins with fearing the Lord, which means recognizing that you need to receive instruction and life from Him. You don't have life within yourself. And this path also includes listening closely to the Lord's Word, asking Him for help, and letting His incredible promises of lavish reward motivate you to hold fast to him. All of this is so important to understand. We've been over it in the first three and a half chapters of this book. But the book now makes a major transition from talking about how we must travel the path of wisdom to talking about how wisdom now travels its path in us. You see, when God's wisdom gets a hold of you, it will not allow you to remain the same person. It will transform you in ways you wouldn't have thought were possible. Wisdom recreates you into a new person to be part of a new humanity. And the rest of this book of Proverbs is primarily about this transformation in the life of God's child who walks in wisdom. Now that news may be disheartening to some because it means that things must change. They will not remain the same. But that same news is also tremendously encouraging for some since it means that things must change. They will not stay the same. So wherever you feel stuck or lost or abandoned or in a rut, this book offers you hope that anything can change. This is what wisdom will do to you. It changes you when it takes its own journey through you. So you can see on your outline, wisdom will enter your ears, it will lodge in your heart, and then it changes everything about you. In other words, where we're heading this morning is that wisdom will change you from the inside out. Let me pray for us as we prepare to read and dig into God's word. Our Father in heaven, please grant us ears to hear that we might submit to your authority in our lives and may your word enter us and take up residence in our hearts that we might start to see everything change. Help us now, we pray, 
as you have promised. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So let's say that from our study of Proverbs so far, you've identified a particular sin you would like to address, or maybe a particular habit you would like to form. First, ask yourself, do I really want it to change? And then you might ask, how do I go about changing it? This poem has the answer. Proverbs chapter 4, starting at verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This poem describes in three steps what wisdom will do to you when it gets a hold of you. First, it enters the ears in verse 20. Wisdom enters the ears. The first thing here the poet wants in verse 20 is for you to incline your ear. The images of giving attention or listening. But to listen to something is to submit to the authority of that thing. The thing you must listen to here is my words or my sayings. And when Solomon, the king of Israel, writes that, he's speaking of his words that he wants us to listen to, to incline our ears to, but really he means God's words that he is recording for us. Hearing, inclining the ear, means it could involve reading the Bible. It could involve hearing the Bible read or preached. It could mean seeking Bible-saturated counsel from another wise person, and so on. It could mean a number of different things. But give your attention to these words. The point of this, friends, is that wisdom's journey begins outside of you. It begins outside of you. Change starts outside us and works its way in through the ears. You see, the world tells us that if you want to mature, if you want to grow up, if you want to succeed, then you must have a deep look within and follow your heart. According to the wisdom of the Jedi, feel, don't think, trust your instincts. Of course, this is not true. If you look to your heart, you might end up being true to yourself, but you will remain displeasing to God. God says, listen to me, 
follow me. Pay attention to my words and you will find life. To illustrate this fact that wisdom starts outside, we need it to come from outside ourselves. One of my daughters understood this when she was very little. She understood that wisdom comes from outside herself. She would ask for confirmation on everything. I could ask her, could you please put this piece of paper in the trash for me? And she would toddle over and grab the piece of paper. And she would ask, this? I'd say, yeah. And she would toddle over to the trash can. And she would say, this? I would say, yeah. And she would say, oh, and drop it in. <laughs> she listened and waited for external confirmation before participating in any questionable activity. This is a picture of how wisdom must come from outside us. Wisdom will enter through your ears. So wisdom must make its way inside you. But at this point, though it has made contact with you, it has not yet changed you. So what does it do once it has entered through your ears? Point number two, it must lodge in the heart. Wisdom will lodge in the heart, verses 21 through 23. You see, when wisdom enters the door of your ear, wisdom has no interest in treating you like an Airbnb. Wisdom is not here, want, does not want to make use of you for football weekends. Wisdom is looking for a new permanent address. When wisdom makes its way in your ears, she wants to set down roots and eventually come to own the place. In other words, when we hear God's words, they won't change us until they take us over and affect who we are. Verse 21 says, keep these words within your heart. The heart is the chief metaphor in the Bible for our inner selves. The, the, the image of the heart in the scripture could refer to your thoughts, your beliefs, your emotions even, your character, your desires or dreams, your fears and your conscience. All of these things are wrapped up in that idea of the heart. The heart in the scripture is the command center from which our lives are managed. So when I keep wise words of life in my heart, verse 21, verse 22 says, they will get passed on to the rest of my flesh. Verse 23 explains why. It's because from the heart flow the springs of life. You see, when wisdom enters you, it doesn't merely unite with what's already in your heart. What wisdom does is it transforms the heart. Wisdom brings life to your flesh by executing a hostile takeover of your inner life and your command center. Wisdom secures the bridge and takes control of the ship. Therefore, wisdom doesn't simply offer you advice. Wisdom actually tells you what to think. It tells you what to value. And even though our culture doesn't like this, wisdom will even tell you how you ought to feel about things at different times. Therefore, any attempt 
to change that doesn't pass through your heart will always be shallow and temporary. You see, I can learn skills by rote. Okay, I can develop muscle memory, but I haven't actually changed if these changes haven't affected who I am. Imagine I study for a test, and I pass the test, and immediately I forget the material that was on the test. Have I really changed? Have I learned anything? I haven't. It hasn't hit my heart. It hasn't landed. The information hasn't landed there and changed me and affected who I am. It hasn't taken up residence. Or for another illustration, let's say one child wrongs another child and is coerced by an adult to apologize. And when they do, they do it with great sarcasm. I'm sorry that you're so sensitive that I hurt your feelings. That's not true remorse. Wisdom, they're going through the motions, but wisdom has not lodged in their heart. Let's say a man tells his wife that he loves her, but he covertly keeps a mistress. We ought to question whether his love is true. He's speaking the words, but his heart is not ruled by God's wisdom. The main idea is that God changes us first and foremost by changing who we are and changing what we desire. But the process still isn't yet complete. Wisdom will enter the ears and it will lodge in the heart. This means that wisdom will change you on the inside. But there remains one last thing that wisdom will do to you. Point number three, it's that wisdom will change everything. When we've changed in our core, in our heart, it will necessarily affect everything we do. And Solomon represents this total and complete change with many pictures. Verse 24, he talks about your speech and the way you talk. In verse 25, he talks about your eyes and where they look and keep them forward and consider your gaze. Verse 26, he wants you to ponder the path of your feet. And he talks about your ways that will be sure. And in verse 27, he talks about turning right or turning left, but guarding the way of your foot that it doesn't walk towards evil. All these different body parts. He has in mind everything we do. Everything that comes out in the rest of your body. As we listen to God's words and we seek God's words out, we must allow them to sink in deeply so they lodge in the heart and then they will shape us more broadly and change everything that we do. Nothing in your life or my life, is off limits. Wisdom will change you on the inside and then it will change you on the outside. Wisdom will change you from the inside out. So please consider, what would it look like for you to seek the Lord and His wisdom that you might honor Him with respect to your sense of identity or with your money your marriage, or your singleness, or your career path, 
What would it look like to honor the Lord with respect to your parenting or your cooking or your hospitality or your leadership potential or your education, your job performance, your spiritual life, your outreach, your eating habits, your hobbies, your Bible study skills, your love life? your communication to others, your decision-making processes, your vision for life. What does God want you to find joy in and what does God want you to get angry about? And can you think of anything else in your life that you would like to address? Where do you feel stuck? Where would you like to see change? What must go? What must be transformed if God's wisdom is to take up more permanent residence in your life. Remember, for you to change, God's words must enter the ears, lodge in the heart, and then change everything. Now, when Jesus came along, he had a lot to say about the process of change, and especially he had a lot to say about the human heart. And so we learn from Jesus in the New Testament That the key to change in the heart is to find in himself, in the Lord Jesus Christ, our greatest treasure. And that's not a major change from Proverbs. It's just a completion of Proverbs. Because Solomon wanted us to know God. He wanted us to see the Lord God and move toward him and have him take up residence in our hearts through his spirit and through wisdom. Jesus doesn't change any of that. He just completes it. Jesus shows us that he himself is the very same creator God whom Solomon worshipped. Jesus is the one who speaks a better word than Solomon could ever speak. So it is by seeing and savoring Jesus Christ that lasting change is possible. Jesus is the one who must take up residence in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he sent to us. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, he speaks of this great mystery, which he calls in in verse 27 of chapter 1 of Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in the next verse, Paul proclaims Jesus with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, this is what all my labor and work is about. I want to teach you wisdom that I may present you mature in Christ. That is his goal. And it comes about through wisdom as Jesus himself takes up residence in our hearts, which is the hope that we have of glory. Now, what does this mean? What are the implications of this? Friends, this means, first off, that you do not have to change everything about yourself or even anything about yourself in order to become a Christian. Jesus gladly receives you just as you are. But secondly, it means that once you are a Christian, you cannot avoid seeing everything change. Jesus moves into your home as is, but then he will remodel his home, which you now are, as he sees fit. 
This is what it means to be saved by grace and to be created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you would like to see your world become a better place, wouldn't it be great if you could tap into the greatest force for change in the history of the world? Don't fall for the cult of self-help. What, what you and I need most is not self-help. We need son help. We need the son of God. We need a supernatural wisdom to take up residence within us and turn everything around. We need Jesus to lodge in our heart and make us into new people. And we will never change the world unless we first start to see change in ourselves. Wisdom will change you from the inside out. Let me give you an example of what this looks like in real life. In my life, I've got a major issue where I would like to see change. It's an issue of overeating. The problem is I snack when I'm bored. I also just love food, and the sweeter it is, the better it is. And I get so fixated on food or snacks that I often block out the inconvenient truth that food will never satisfy me the way I want it to. So this is something I would like to see change. It's something I've been seeking to address for quite some time. How does wisdom change me from the inside out? Well, first, I'm not going to find wisdom by looking in the inside. It has to come from the outside. It must enter the ears. So I look to the scripture and I come across wisdom such as Proverbs 25, verse 16. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it, and vomit it. So God tells me that he made the world to work in such a way that an excess of a good thing would become a bad thing. Not even pleasing anymore or good for me. And I can't find that truth by searching my heart because my heart is lying to me all the time. This must come from outside me. And here's some more. Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. So the Lord's wisdom reminds me that food costs money and more food therefore costs more money. And this path of gluttony is a path that leads to poverty. This is so interesting because if I were writing a self-help book about overcoming overeating, I would try to motivate people by talking about how overeating makes you overweight and don't you care about your self-image and what people think about you? And being overweight is undesirable. The funny thing is God doesn't say that. God doesn't go there. To the Lord, the problem with overeating is not what happens to your weight or your body image. The problem with overeating is what goes on inside of you. Your joy and your satisfaction are at stake. And the problem also lies with the diminishing of your fiscal responsibility. That your wealth is going towards feeding your appetite when it could be used for other things that serve other people. 
So such wisdom enters my ears. I need this from outside me because I'm not going to naturally come up with these things. But then it must lodge in my heart. And by lodging in my heart, it makes me better able to call upon these truths when I need them. For this reason, part of wisdom lodging in my heart involves memorizing these scriptures that speak to the area that I want to see change in. So when I memorize them and the scripture takes up residence, these words enter. I, I start loving what God loves and I start valuing what God values and I realize that my decision to keep snacking is not a personal decision. It's not a private decision. It affects my whole family as it makes me less able to serve them because I'm too busy seeking to serve myself. And this decision affects my walk with the Lord because I begin to lose satisfaction in the things that He gave me to enjoy. And so my joy in the Lord, who is the giver of every good gift, is at stake. Now, this issue is something I've personally been wrestling with for many years. And there are times when I see more success than other times. But in general, there has been this trend by God's grace, toward the Lord and away from myself. Toward life and the worship of God and away from my selfish desires. And one of the things that has, for me personally, has just been the biggest help, has been for me to speak out loud to myself when I'm facing temptation and to just say, Jesus is better than this. Just remind myself out loud. And the more I speak this truth that has lodged in my heart, the more I believe it. And the more I believe it, the easier it becomes to act like it. The result is that wisdom changes everything. I'm then empowered by the wisdom and the Spirit of God to make a decision not to consume the entire plate at the restaurant, but take some home so I can enjoy it another time. I can decide to turn aside from snack after snack after snack to maybe drink some water instead or talk to one of my kids or find something else to do. And when I do enjoy a snack, I can enjoy it as something that God has given me, not as something, not something I had to sneak for myself in the dark as though if nobody observes it, the calories don't count, right? Now, I have not yet become perfect or have been made complete on this issue, but according to Proverbs 4, verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So I am seeing and making steady progress over time as this issue changes, because wisdom changes me from the inside out. That was a very extended example. I wanted to walk through what it looks like in a real-life situation. And maybe this three-step process makes sense to you intellectually, but you're thinking, I don't struggle with overeating. How do I do this with my own areas for change? We'll have lots of opportunity in the coming weeks to speak to many more specific areas for growth where wisdom will transform us. We're going to continue preaching straight through to chapter 9, to the end of chapter 9 of Proverbs, because the, the longer poems here at the beginning of the book lay out 
this way of thinking about wisdom. It gives us a worldview, a framework that, through which we can, we can look at the world in light of God's wisdom. But once we reach chapter 10, we're going to preach topically through the rest of the book. Each sermon will take a particular topic, such as food, or anger, or communication, or friendship, and we'll trace that topic through the scattered Proverbs in chapters 10 through 31. And with each topic, we will do our best to apply the worldview of chapters 1 through 9 to produce change in our lives with respect to that topic, because this is God's wisdom for his children to grow them up in maturity, in wisdom. So please feel free to let me know if there's a particular topic you would like us to cover in those sermons at the end of the book, because there are many, many topics addressed in this book, and we will probably not be able to tackle every one of them in this sermon series. And so I would like to know what you would like to have addressed. I can't promise we'll cover every idea, but I would love to consider it as we select our topics that we're going to preach on. And for those topics that we don't get to cover this year, we'll be spending the rest of our lives delving the depths of this book, this glorious book, walking this journey of wisdom together. But back to chapter 4, the thing that this chapter communicates, which we must keep in mind as we continue through this book, is that wisdom will change you from the inside out. All that practical stuff that comes later in the book is not just about changing on the outside. It's about becoming the sort of person who reflects the glory of God and learns to love what God loves. Wisdom gives hope that anything can change. Wisdom enters the ears, it lodges in the heart, and it changes everything. So it doesn't matter what candidates for change you have in mind. It doesn't matter if you'd like to develop a new skill or break an old habit. It doesn't matter if this situation has caused you exquisite joy or excruciating pain. It doesn't matter if your history is one of failure or one of success. Those things all matter. I don't mean to say nothing matters about that, but they don't matter with respect to the fact that God wants you to change and that anything can change. And God wants you to be more like him and he's throwing the full weight of his resources behind the change movement in your life. Jesus came to be with you and he rose from the grave so he could make all things new. So if you fear the Lord, you have much reason to hope for how God will work. One of my children often used to say, I give up whenever something was too hard. And I say to you what I often said to that child. Give up? That is the one thing we must never do. Jesus never gave up on us. So let's trust him and see what he can do next. This is the hope that wisdom gives as it changes us from the inside out. As I close in prayer, I would like to read a prayer written by John Bradford 
who was a 16th century Protestant reformer in England who was imprisoned in London Tower and then burned at the stake for his faith. He understood what wisdom does to change people and how that can change a society. So when he prayed for change to take place in his nation, this is what he prayed. So please, please pray with me. As David, seeing your angel with his sword ready drawn, most righteous Lord, to plague Jerusalem, cried out unto you, It is I, Lord, who have sinned, and I who have done wickedly. Your hand, Lord, be on me, and not on your poor sheep. Because of which you were moved to mercy, and commanded your angel to put up his sword. Even so, we... Gracious Lord, seeing your fearful sword of vengeance ready drawn and presently striking against this commonwealth and your church in the same, we are occasioned now to cast off our eyes from beholding and narrowly spying out other men's faults and to set our own only in sight. So that with the same David, your servant, and with Jonah in the ship, we may cry, It is we, O Lord, who have sinned and procured this, your grievous wrath. And this, we who are now gathered together in Christ's name, do acknowledge, confessing ourselves guilty of horrible ingratitude for your gospel and pure religion and for the peace of your church and quietness of the commonwealth. Besides our negligence and many other grievous sins, because of which we have deserved not only these, but much more grievous plagues, if that even presently you did not, as you are wont, remember your mercy. Upon this, that you in your anger remember mercy before we seek and sue for it. Upon this we take boldness, as you command us to do in our trouble, to come and call upon you to be merciful unto us. And of your goodness now, we humbly in Christ's name pray you to hold your hand and cease your wrath, or at the least so to mitigate it that this realm may be quietly governed, and the same once again to be a shelter for your church and for true religion, which do restore to us again according to your great power and mercy. And we shall praise your name forever through Jesus Christ, our only mediator and Savior. Amen.